Hey y'all, welcome back to New Slang. I'm your host, music journalist Thomas Mooney. We're kicking off the week being joined by singer-songwriter Mercy Bell. Earlier this month, August 6th to be exact, Mercy released Golden Child. It's such an interesting and rewarding set of songs. These have been some of my favorite to unpack and explore from this past year, which this conversation with Mercy was really no different. It's so insightful, and I absolutely loved hearing stories behind some of those songs and why and how she's gotten to this place as a writer and artist. These songs, they live and they breathe on their own merit, but all the commentary and thought that she provides in this is just that additional context for the stories that are being told here and the points that are being made. I just love a lot of the declarations made on this album. It's exploring a lot of parts of the American experience that aren't necessarily always represented in American culture. As I point out during this conversation, I feel like her cutting the Springsteen song Atlantic City is Mercy really just saying that these stories and these folks that she's writing about, that they are a part of this experience. They have ownership to these American folk songs too. Anyway, we talk about Golden Child and the creative process at length on this one. And I think you're going to enjoy all the things that Mercy says during this one. Today's presenting partner is our pals over at Desert Door Texas Sultal. If you've been listening to New Slang for really any amount of time, you'll know that Desert Door is one of my all-time favorite premium, high-quality spirits. If you haven't or aren't sure what exactly a Sotol is, I'm going to let you in on a little secret that's going to up the game on your liquor cabinet. For starters, the best reference point that I can point you to is to think about a tequila or a mezcal. Do you feel that Western desert, that Texas ruggedness? Okay, Soto is like that, but a little bit more refined, smooth, and fragrant. It intrigues the palate and offers these hints of vanilla and citrus there's an earthiness that often sends me right back to my Trans-Pecos and Far West Texas roots. There's plenty to love about Desert Door. For me, it all starts right there. A close second is just how versatile Desert Door really is. You can go full highbrow and experiment with concocting a variety of cocktails that call for muddling fresh fruit, sprigs of thyme, sticks of cinnamon. It's perfect for that world. If you're a little bit more down home, if you've just rolled up the sleeves of your denim Wrangler button-up, it's perfect for that as well. If you're just desiring something that's short and sweet, it hits the mark every time. Desert Door is genuine and authentically West Texan. It's inherently West Texan. They harvest soto plants out in the wild and are knowledgeable conservationists at heart. That's obviously something incredibly important to me. They shine a light on what makes West Texas special and unique and worth preserving and keeping it safe from exploitation. Right now, you can find Desert Door all over Texas, Colorado, Tennessee, and there's budding numbers in places like New Mexico, Arizona, California, and Georgia. Best thing you can do is to check out DesertDoor.com to find where Desert Door is locally. Again, that's DesertDoor.com. Okay, I promise that we'll get on into the conversation with Mercy here in two seconds. But first, if this is your first time listening to New Slang, I think it'd be a wonderful idea if you hit that subscribe button. New Slang is available anywhere and everywhere that you listen to podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and so on. Just hit that subscribe button wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Just a couple of Fridays back, I announced my debut 
book is coming out this September. It's called The Lubbock Way. It's a collection of short stories, thoughts, and insight on the Lubbock music scene circa 2015 to 2017. Right now, you can pre-order it over in the merch store. Currently, this first edition is going to be limited to 500 copies unless really like a miracle happens where, I don't know, 10,000 people order the book or something. I'm trying to manifest that hopefully. One can hope, right? But what I'm saying is that even though 500 sounds like a lot, it's going pretty quickly. So go ahead, pre-order one right now while you have the chance. Speaking of which, plenty of other cool stuff in the merch store that you can get as well. Go ahead, pick up a t-shirt, a coffee mug, something. All right, those links as well as ones to the New Slang Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, and so on will be in the show notes. Okay, let's get into it. Here is Mercy Bell. Um, as I feel like I start every one of these damn podcasts off with is... The natural places to, to start is obviously you have Golden Child out just last week. And um, yeah, let's start there. I guess like this is like probably my, my first proper introduction to you as an artist. Um, <laughs> and, and I just really liked a lot of the character development on this EP in these songs. I really liked how, I don't know, there's something that you do that I, I find really intriguing as a, as a writer. And that is like, um, sometimes like you're really, really just, you throw out something to describe someone or a situation. And it's just like, you're capturing the, the, the scene or that person in a really, really kind of like matter of fact way, or even like in a blunt way. But then also <laughs> you will describe something in a way that makes the listener really have to think about what you're saying at the same time, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And, and I really like that, that balance, if you will. Um, obviously that's something that, I don't know if you're intentionally trying to do that and you're consciously thinking that, thinking of that as you're writing a song or anything like that. But, um, yeah, let's, what I guess like, is that something that you've noticed in your own writing or, or, or anything or that or that's been intentional or that, you've wanted to work on as an artist? Yeah. So, um, I originally started writing, um, like I studied briefly, I wasn't like an English major or anything, but a lot of short stories, prose and poetry. And in that realm, in that world of short stories. So like a huge influence of mine is Flannery O'Connor. Um, and she's, you know, this really epic Southern Gothic writer and everything about her was to describe what you see, but there's like a whole world of an iceberg underneath it. So, um, it's like, I don't know how to describe it without going into like mm -hmm. <laughs> literary terminology, but, um, it's kind of, I'm trying to think of a, uh, I'm trying to think of like a really obvious, it's the idea of show me, don't tell me, you know, right. but it's like, what are you showing? You're showing, um, I don't know. I guess I'm, I haven't, you're the first person to ever ask me this. So I haven't had to like explain it since probably like my college days. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it is completely intentional. I really only describe people if I can also, 
if there's something seething underneath, seething might not be the right word, but something percolating underneath there too. So it is 1000% uh, intentional. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think like maybe the, the even just like the way you start off this, the very first song, that first line, it's so jarring. And I think like a lot of people think of like easing into a record and <laughs> there it's just like that line, of course, uh, plan B in a Gatorade, another Walgreens on a Sunday. Like it's just, we're in it. And yeah. there's something really, really refreshing about that where it's kind of like a, a bold move and not just like even for, for a record or anything like that, but like just as a, for a, for a line in a song, it, it hits you in a way that you're like, Oh, okay, well let's, let's try and like figure out who this character is. And, yeah. you know, um, I don't know. I, I think that's a, a refreshing aspect of, of your writing. I mean, I'm going to give a little background. Like, uh, so when I wrote that line, I was thinking about, um, you know, without, I mean, obviously it delves into like a really personal realm of things for a lot of people. Um, but I, like I was reminded of this time I was bartending and the night before this woman was like, I had to cut her off cause she was like so drunk and I had to cut her off. And like the next morning she came, the next day she came in, I was also bartending and I was like, Hey, how was the rest of your night? And she was like, I don't really remember it, but I did have to go by a plan B today. And I was like, yeah. And I like, like if I knew what happened the night before, right. I knew how drunk she got. And like, and so for me, it's like, sometimes you don't need to explain the entire 10 paragraphs of what it is. It's like, it's a shorthand, I think. And like anybody that's ever partied too hard or done things that they were like, Oh, that was not like the best decision, you know? Um, yeah, it's like, that's the thing. It's real life. It's stuff. I, uh, it's stuff that my friends and I talk about all the time. So like, why shouldn't that be in a song? You know? Uh, and when we were writing that song, um, it was at this really great writer's workshop here in Nashville, with this amazing songwriter named Bonnie Baker. She was hosting it. And um, I got paired with these awesome writers, uh, Sumiko Sprinkle and Cameron Newby. And we were talking about how we all grew up like being the perfect, the perfect kid. And we all had our different like reasons to have to do that. And to do that, um, sometimes it was because of our own neuroses and our own personalities and whatnot. But um it's like when you make a mistake, we beat ourselves up so much and we're not realizing that everybody makes mistakes. And it's not even a mistake. Everybody is wildly diverse and different, you know, because like some of the things in this song are not there's nothing wrong with being gay. Obviously, I'm gay, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with being, mm -hmm. you know, you know, needing a reproductive rights or things like that. There's nothing wrong with any of this, but it's stuff that we all hide so much, you know. Um, but we, but it's real life and it's, it's, we talk about it all the time. If all, if I've, I've had so many friends here in Nashville who are like gay dudes from small towns who were the quarterback on their football team. And they tell me that, oh yeah, I was the quarterback in the homecoming King, but I was really like a closeted gay and tormented and hated myself and wanted to kill myself. And it's like, this is the real stories people have told me. And so I was like, fuck it. I want to make an album that talks about all this real stuff, you know? So I definitely just rambled. So I understand why you <laughs> give me that preamble. Yeah. 
But also, like, I hate preachiness. And I think if I was to make a song that was like, we should all be allowed to be whoever we want, I mean, like, I wouldn't listen to that. So, like, the kumbaya kumbaya kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't even listen to that. So, why would I expect anybody else to listen to that? And so, I was like, I think it's better just to tell true stories of things that I have my friends and I have lived, you know, so that's bit ba- and strangers also like that's basically what this album is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I want to unpack a lot of what you, what you just mentioned there, because that's one of those things that I have written down here is about how, okay, it, let me, I, I guess there's probably like three or four things I want to talk about, but we'll <laughs> go with this first one, first thing, uh, first. And that's the, okay. you're taking like, a, if we go back to that first line, you're taking like a situation that, there's a lot of songs out there that are about bad decisions or not necessarily, as you said, not necessarily bad decisions, but decisions where, um, you know, you, you drank over, uh, uh, the last night and you don't remember what, what happened necessarily. Exactly. There's a lot of songs like that. This one right here, as you said, like you just kind of, you captured that feeling that, uh, that feeling of even just, uh, the hangoverness, if you will. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In, in just like a, a couple of seconds. And I think that's like such a, a great way of just capturing that, that, uh, the essence, that, that mood of the song. Um, going, well, thank you. Yeah. Going forward though, like what I, what I really, I guess have, um, feel like you tap into with this. It has been, uh, and I guess in a relationship to the, the, um, addition of, Atlantic city by Springsteen on here. Mm-hmm. And that is the, um, I, I think we all kind of think of Springsteen as capturing America, right? Just the right. small town American dream, if you will, or like the breakdown of that dream. And Atlantic city is very much like, even though it's a quote unquote newer folk song, it feels like right. it's like rooted in, you know, tradition thousands of years, right. Or something Absolutely. like that. Um, and what I think like you do with that, the like that edition of that song specifically, I think helps show that like a lot of these characters um, are in that same world, if you will. Oh, absolutely. And, and, yeah. And I guess like my, my question off of that is I'm guessing like that was intentional as well to, sh- to show that these realms are the same realm that yeah. these characters, these um, people who f- are feeling like they're black sheep from small towns are still right. in that same world as your traditional, quote unquote, traditional characters of American folk, if you will. Absolutely. I mean, I would almost go to say that that song inspired the album. Uh, I've loved that song for years and I have I've dabbled with covering it a lot, but um, it wasn't until the uh, pandemic and I just saw how much everybody was struggling and I, that song has always resonated with me, but it really resonated the last year. And, um, I, you know, I grew up on the coast, so like California and Massachusetts, and I grew up in Massachusetts in a really working class town that really just has, it's like a, it's like a fishing town. It's called New Bedford, Massachusetts. And it, Springsteen's music has always made me, reminded me of that, of New Bedford, which is where, you know, I, I partially grew up. And so every time I hear that song, I was like, 
So when I first heard the band's version of it, I was like, this is like a country, western, southern song, but it is such like a northeastern, gritty, working class, industrial vibe, which is where I'm from. Mm -hmm. So, and I love that because people, my last album, people always ask me about the country aspect. I was like, I'm not, you guys are picking up on country and that I tell stories. And it is one of the last remaining uh, genres of music where people told stories, like explicit stories. Because folk music, sure, people do that, but folk music can be a lot of different things, right? Right. And for me, with this album, I was like, I want to do what Bruce did with Atlantic City. I want to write a very specific song, songs, plural, about normal people who are struggling and still trying to find the joys and pleasures and a reason to live in everyday life. And I wanted to include Atlantic city in there as like, um, as like a Northeastern aspect. Cause I know that there's a lot of people are like, it's a Midwestern heartland <laughs> album. And I'm like, it's not really actually. Cause like, I'm not from there, but like a lot of it, a lot of the album is can happen anywhere. You know, I mean, that's where I grew up in new Bedford and, and parts of San Diego. Right. Like, but I'm not going to argue with people. Like if they want to do that, then they, it's whatever they want it to be. Right. Um, so um, like I added Atlantic city there as like a homage, like, and, and it, it inspired, it kind of inspired the whole album, honestly, um, to bring it together. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if that answered it. I'm, I might not have had enough coffee for this yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it does. And I find that, I, I don't know. I just find that really, really interesting. The, and it, I guess like your commentary on where specifically like that Nebraska record is because yeah, people will just like fight about the, the regionalism of where that is, yeah. where like the, the, the overall intentions is not necessarily where that region is, but regionalism in general, you know, because yeah. I grew up in West Texas and there's moments in that where you feel like, oh, I know that person, even though like this, these people may have, you know, um, Springsteen was probably writing about someone that he had an idea of yeah. somewhere far from West Texas or wherever. Right. Is. But like there's there is that that prototype character wherever. Right, exactly. It's funny, West Texas, my girlfriend is from out there. Where's, so, she, where's she from? She grew up, uh, she grew up in, shout out to Grace, hi. Uh, she grew up in Hobbs, New Mexico, but her family all lives in Lubbock, so okay. it, area. Well, yeah, yeah. That's where I'm at right now, in Lubbock. I oh, right there, on. So. Totally ra- right yeah. on. <laughs> this episode of New Slang is brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. Blue Light has long been the heart and soul of the Lubbock singer-songwriter scene and has been a home away from home for some of Texas, Americana, country, and rock and roll's finest over the years. Talk with 99.9% of the songwriters who have come out of Lubbock and the panhandle at large over the past 20 years, and they'll point to just how integral and necessary the Blue Light is. With live music and touring slowly but surely coming back, spots like the Blue Light are getting back to their usual ways as well. That means music every night of the week. Do you want to see that schedule? Well, I've got a few options for you. One, go to their socials and give them a follow. That is at Blue Light Live on Twitter, at The Blue Light Live on Instagram, and of course, by just searching The Blue Light Live on Facebook. 
They're consistently posting that week's lineup of shows as well as those heavy hitters that ought to be on your calendar that are coming up on the horizon. Two, check out bluelightlubbock.com as well. There they have the full schedule, the cover charges, time, any of those specials that may be happening. While there, go check out their merch page. They have a wide range of hats, koozies, hoodies, sweaters, beanies, jackets, and so much more. You can, of course, get all of your merch needs when you go see your favorite band take the stage at Blue Light. Just ask the bartender and they will get you all set. Speaking of which, that's another great way of seeing who's playing there. Just go to the Blue Light. It's at 1806 Buddy Holly Avenue here in Lubbock, Texas. And of course, again, that is bluelightlubbock.com. I'll throw a link into the show notes too. Maybe I'll see you there. Okay, let's get back to the show. <laughs> Hobbs, New Mexico. Yeah. Have you been out here? I'm I've only I ha- I've driven through it because my like to go to California, I'll like drive that way. And my cousin lives in Dallas, so yeah, I've crisscrossed the country a bunch, but I haven't been out with her. So I uh, I I'm headed out there probably in February. So yeah, fun, exciting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she'll show you all the. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to try and make fun of Hobbs here. The Walmart parking lots or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know she went to Texas Tech, so she's going to have to show me her alma, ma- alma mater. Okay, alma, yeah. I can't. Yeah. Yeah, so, we'll, uh, we'll have to, to, to cross paths at that point. Yeah. Sounds good. So, Let's do it. Yeah. Let's go. Um, <laughs> going back to, to the, the songs, though, these characters. Yeah. I, I guess, like, you know, I feel like it, this is maybe – um, this is one of those weird places as, as far as just being like a, um, as far as like my observations from being just like a, a white guy, like a white straight guy. And that is like maybe, or mainly white. I'm half Mexican. It doesn't really matter. Oh, <laughs> but, but like right the, <laughs> the whole thing about like, oh, these are interesting characters because like they are, um, from parts of pockets of the, of America that aren't necessarily being um, talked about on the radio. They're not like these characters aren't being played. Uh, they don't have other songs on top 40 country or something like that. Right. Um, Is that like, I don't know. Is that like, um, on purpose? Yeah, no, not necessarily on purpose, but is that something like where are we like describing these uh, characters as interesting or eccentric or like, vulnerable just because of that or or do you feel like those these characters like does that make it where they're almost like you know not real does Um, that make sense yeah 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 are they are we looking looking at them as like um like uh oddities as opposed to something like that yeah yeah for me i went about it like every song kind of started with um something really personal. So, um, there was a song about thing, you know, there's a song in there that's deals directly with some break, um, breakups and addiction type stuff that I have dealt with and that people that I love have dealt with. But then instead of like, I've done that on my other albums where I just kind of like write a journal about how I feel about heartbreak. And I was like, that's really boring. And for me now, you know, um, so I just wanted to flesh it out and turn it into characters 
that were not me, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And that is kind of every song on this album um, comes from a really personal place. And then I was like, the other co-writers came from their personal place for them too. And then we're like, well, we don't want it to be about us, even though it's about us. Does that make sense? So every single one, we just happen to like, you know, in one of them, we have it be a middle-aged lady who's, you know, chain smoking cigarettes. And I would really like to go on a yacht with, you know, really definitely would love to go to the beach with her. That's the hustle. Um, she's my hero. She's my he- number one hero on the whole album. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, don't, I actually love these people. And if they, when I originally was making the album, I thought I was going to call it happy hour. And my idea was going to be like a happy hour of bar regulars that mm-hmm. you see all the time. And, you know, but then it was like my, my sister Rosie was like, you really got to call it golden child. And you're, I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. So. Yeah. That's the, okay. So like, I, I do love like the, I don't know the, the context of thinking about it, calling it happy hour because I, one of the things that like you, you'll see within a lot of these songs is like the mentioning of like, um, I guess like late night supermarket aisle type of stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and like, it's like this, the happy hour aspects, but like, I almost feel like these are people that I've not necessarily even run into at a bar, but like, at, again, if we're going to go to the Walgreens example, yeah, at like three in the morning, like looking for something to, to grab yeah. on the way home. And like, yeah. where like at a bar, almost like you're kind of like, oh, we're in the same like glow of like, okay, this is, um, we're having fun. Uh, yeah, the Walgreens the equalizer. At, yeah, at Walgreens at like, you know, sometime in the uh, early, early morning, late night you're almost like oh you didn't see me here please don't tell yeah exactly (laughs) especially buying the plan b yeah exactly Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so like that's like i don't know that i i find that a little humorous in in some respects is like where this is like the the shame of the of of life is like shopping at walgreens (laughs) the next morning yeah yeah Yeah, exactly or like you're on a road trip and yeah i mean the other title of this could have been walgreens i think every single character in this could have gotten something there um so (laughs) yeah that now you need the the walgreens sponsorship yeah i'm here for it i shop there quite often um we can get you a cutout cardboard cutout I would um, really love that. Selling the records right there by the front somewhere. Um, it would be great. With every novelty <laughs> item mentioned in it, Walgreens, Roses, Gatorade, Plan B. Yeah. Uh, they already yeah. have them bagged for you if you just need to go <laughs> in and get the special. It's the Mercy Bell special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to go back to what you were talking about with creative writing. And you mentioned journal uh, journaling at yeah. one point in here. Um I feel like I, I I think I've read somewhere that you do a whole lot of that as far as I do, you know, writing maybe, I don't know if it's on a daily basis or anything like that, but how much of that helps, um, I guess like set the palette or set the, the stage, if you will, uh, for your songwriting, how much does that inform the way you're able to, I don't know if you're plucking lines or, or anything like that from, what you're writing beforehand, uh, how much does that inform, I guess, your, your songwriting? 
Uh, a lot. I would say it's probably the number one thing I do other than just constantly sing and hum. Like as I'm washing dishes, I'm just always singing and sometimes it turns into a hook, but I am always writing. I, I just always have a notepad or a journal or my phone. And if something, if I think of something that might be a good line, I write it down. I do write I have boxes and boxes of old journals that I've had for over the years. And I don't always do it just for creativity. I do it a lot for kind of just like mental health and decompressing, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I've been journaling since I was a kid. Um, and a lot of it is just gibberish and nonsense, but, um, there's a lot of catharsis and kind of clarity that comes from doing that. So I, I have found it's probably one of my number one, resources for writing songs and the more I journal the more songs I get so um yeah it's really important and sometimes the only thing that comes out of it is like a line which then turns into the rest of the song and that happens pretty easily if I can get that like one line so like even with golden child I threw out it was on the spot so I do a lot of on the spot writing too um if it's a co-write I there's a level of kind of flow and um adrenaline that really helps with that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely threw out that plan B and a Gatorade. Cause I had remember, I remember somebody had said that once to me, one of my friends, um, you know, and I remembered it. I just remembered it. Uh, so yeah, like sometimes it's just journaling. It's just like writing down things of note, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I recommend it. If anybody feels stuck in their life creatively, whatever your medium is, whether it's painting or photography or, dancing or whatever i really recommend journaling or like kind of getting your inner thoughts out onto paper or a collage or just get it out of yourself and, and nobody else should see it it should just be for you because you need to feel it this episode is in part brought to you by charlie stout photography charlie stout has long been a great buddy of mine and for as long as i've known him He's always had a good eye, a good eye for ideas, for lines in a song, and notably, an eye for what makes a great photograph. Yes, we're going to roll with that tried and true cliche about a great photographer having a good eye. But it's cliche for a reason. More often than not, it means it's true. Right now, I want y'all to head on over to charliestout.com to get an idea of what I'm talking about. While you're at it, go give him a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Charlie Stout. Right now, he has about 50 photographs for sale on charliestout.com, with a vast majority of those being landscapes and sky shots of West Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. The American Southwest, if you will. A lot of cacti and clouds, windmills and open roads, sunsets and stardust. He captures a lot of what I love about West Texas and these dry, arid climates. That's mainly that vast emptiness that can really make you feel small. The depth and the weight and the intensity, it's all in there. Right now, he's doing a special on his prints. Each week, he releases a new photo. And for one week only, that photograph is at a special introductory rate. For just $25, you'll get an 8.5 by 11. That's just about half off the regular price. For 75, you can get a 13 by 19, and for 110, you can get a 17 by 22. After the week, they go back to regular prices, which are still an absolute steal if you ask me. Also, just a pro tip, keep a watchful eye out on his Twitter. 
He's consistently posting one-offs, errors, and randoms on there that are for sale that are in the flash sale variety. Again, that is at Charlie Stout for Twitter and Instagram. Head on over to charliestout.com, grab a signed print, buy a record, get yourself some nature sounds and some nature shots. All right, let's get back to the episode. Right. That's okay. That's something interesting right there is we're in such a society where we have to share everything. You you really don't. I mean, the, oh, I or you yeah. feel compelled. At least what I mean, as far as you know, oh, should yeah. I need to post these on Instagram? Oh, I need to do this, and that that's an interesting thing to some things to just keep for yourself. Yeah, I think that you deserve to practice in peace, for real. Like I, I think. I think that you do. Um, so my, my, my two of my siblings are really, um, wonderful artists, illustrators, and they do that for a living and they're younger than me. And they used to just draw all the time as kids, like, and they would just fill up every ounce of spare paper with test scribbles. And they were hilarious. And to me, like as somebody who can't draw, I thought it was like the coolest thing. And I was like, can I, can I put this on the wall or whatever? And they'd be like, no, those are the uglies. We're just getting the uglies out. And I was like, that's freedom and liberation right there to practice, to rehearse, to like, you know, athletes get to do it all the time. Mm -hmm. They get to, they get to train and they'll do micro movements with like resist. I just came back from MMA practice. So like I'm, fresh off of that like we did the exact same form my trainer his name's luke sanders and he was like you just got to get you got to get the punch down the right way you got to do it i think he was quoting bruce lee he's like you got to do it ten thousand times to do it once and i was like yeah and so all that to say is like we all deserve artists deserve to mess up not even mess up to practice in peace and get out these crazy ideas and get it out and figure it out and if that's journaling if that's iPhone memos, if that's the uglies, if that is 3,000 photos on your iPhone, do it, you know? If that's just dancing in your underwear at 3 a.m., do it. Yeah, that's, I, I love that right there because, so one of, I guess one of my big things with, with, especially with art and specifically with songwriting is like we often will romanticize like the process where it's like we, we think of artists as, you just did it perfect the first time. And yeah, like, no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the, I, I think one of the main things is as far as like, it's just God given talent. And, you know, I woke up and I just did it. And obviously like that takes away all the, the work before the, the process yeah. of getting to that point. Um, yeah. And yeah, like allow yourself some of that freedom of practice because yeah you know no one wakes up and is I mean I'm sure there are people who can wake up and just uh they were just naturally great at writing the song or something but you know all of this takes work all of this takes um the the practice and like even you know I'm I don't necessarily journal I do Mm -hmm. like just write a bunch of stuff um because I think that like that gets you to the point of where maybe you are ready to, to whatever it is that you need to, whatever your task is, if it is writing a song or something in art or for my example here, when I'm writing an article or writing something about somebody, 
I think like you have to like get to that point where you're it's where is it, where it does come easy where you're not thinking about all of the 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 the, the, the things that you've been working on to, to yeah it becomes point. muscle memory mm-hmm. yeah and and I don't know I think like sometimes uh, artists or we get the idea that like that it's not necessary or like I'll be a writer whenever I'm a writer. Yeah. I think that the, yeah, I think the idea of not being able to mess up is, is dangerous. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what my whole first song is about, but it's like we messing up isn't even the right word. It's like, it's like freedom to play and freedom to practice. And I, I'm definitely stealing a lot from two of my icons. Like, Esther Perel, who's a therapist, and Elizabeth Gilbert, who's an incredible writer. They both stress a lot in the, in the need for curiosity, play, and mischief in everything you do, and especially art and creativity. It's like, it doesn't need to be consumed. You don't need to do this to consume other thing like you don't need to this doesn't have to go on spotify this mm-hmm. doesn't have to this if you're gonna if you're gonna write something like you just said you're gonna write something do it for the joy of it you know yeah and it's practice and it's practice and that's practice and play and curiosity i don't even like to use the word messing it up you know it's just practice it's rehearsal it's you can't just come up you can't just read hamlet once and then put it on the stage at the globe theater you have to rehearse it for nine months, you know, like you have to have, I remember I did theater for quite a while in high school and in um, college. And they always said like, if you have a bad dress rehearsal, you're going to have a great performance. Um, And I think that that's just one thing where I really relish having had a lot of training in different art forms, sports, things like that. It's like everybody else lets you, rehearse and practice and it's uh, we for some reason in in this world of like songwriting and whatever think that it has to come out perfect the first and i'm like that's ridiculous no you know it doesn't have to be no yeah like the the sandbox element like yeah i remember um like i used to like love as a kid um like computer games where you're like city building and stuff like that like sim city kind of stuff where uh, I guess like there was always like a, a quote, a quote unquote, like a campaign element of like, you know, this is, uh, the campaign of, of doing that. I always just loved the free build, like the sandbox yes. thing. And I think like a lot of things would call it sandbox. That's the reason. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And, and that to me, that was like the, I don't know. And I, this is now that I'm thinking about it as a kid, I almost loved like more setting up play versus actually the, <laughs> the actual like playing something does that yeah. make sense like i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah because it's more it's more liberating and and i remember thinking about this it's like it's like um i remember learning spanish and my spanish is still pretty bad but like i remember remember like trying to speak it and i really don't care about messing up or making mistakes or not doing things perfectly. And so like, I'll just go out, I'll just go balls to the wall with it. And I remember somebody being like, Oh, you actually try it even. And I was like, yeah, my Spanish is bad, but they're like, I actually try it. And so many people are like afraid of messing up. And it's not because they're just like egotistical. It's because there's such a culture of like being shamed in this country, at least Mm -hmm. 
for making us a quote unquote mistake. And it's like, how are you going to learn anything if you don't get to try it? You know, it's like, I mean, like maybe that's because I grew up as like, I'm part Filipino and I grew up in a very multicultural world. So it's like, you just see people like doing their best to communicate all the time. And so, I mean, I don't know, that just translates to me to art. You just try it. Just, just try it. Curiosity. Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. Like it, there is a, um, you know, there's, uh, you get those, like those, uh, butterflies at like, Oh, am I going to fail? You know, or like whatever the case, the first time you do it. And a lot of times, you know, I think a lot of that is clearly rooted in childhood as yeah. far as like, you know, were you, uh, cheered on or were you like told like, you know, you're a loser because you didn't do it the right yeah. the first time or whatever. But, um, I wanted to go back and like a couple of other questions about some of your other songs that aren't on, on this. And one of the, the songs that really I gravitated towards was, and this is something that like, I feel this is an older song of yours. Um, and that's all good cowboys where yeah. of course, like that song, I guess you originally uh, recorded it in 11 and then you revisited it for your self titled, um, can you can you go back and like talk a little bit about I guess like the evolution of that song and the uh where it's rooted in and all that stuff? Yeah, so um my granddaddy, my grandfather who was one of my main babysitters growing up was uh from Georgia and so he was like old school southern guy but he was my babysitter and he loved cowboys. So like cowboys were his like Every, like everywhere you looked in my house and, or like wherever he, you know, was living at the point, which is like cowboy stuff. And, and so as a little kid, there was that like mythos of the cowboy. And I grew up in San Diego until I was 12 until I moved to the East and we drove across the country. And I remember that just being like this, like pivotal experience of just like being so heartbroken of like leaving everything I'd ever known but at the same time being like full of wonder, like driving across the country and heartbroken at the same time. So I was just like, what is this? So like for me, for a very long time and sort of until now, I kind of had this feeling of like not having a home, even though that's not true. I've had many homes. I'm incredibly loved. It's just one of my neuroses that I'm working on in therapy. But, um, and for me, my mom always my, her nickname for me was cowboy. Um, cause like I was just always on the move. And so that, um, that was kind of where like that iconography came from. Um, but when I wrote that song, I was still struggling with my sexuality. I hadn't come out of the closet yet. And I was really worried that I was not going to be accepted um, which I was ultimately, I mean, there was some hardship, but I mean, I'm very accepted, but I was really worried. And that's a song about like being loved for who you are. And also, you know, um, not being loved for who you are and just constantly moving to like find a place where you are loved. So that's kind of where that came from. And then as over the years, like, the more I play songs, certain songs, like the more it grows with me and the more it like gains meaning. And that one will always have an incredible amount of meaning to me. So yeah, I mean, that was kind of an esoteric 
uh, <laughs> uh, description of it, but, um, I don't know. Did I answer your question? Yeah, no, no, no. Like I, that's, I felt there was a lot of that in there. Um, yeah. What, what I think like what you do though, what I love about like you kind of, um, borrowing the language of like the mythos of the cowboy as you, as you mm-hmm. talk about, because one of, one of the things I always love about, and if you look at like any cowboy, it doesn't matter what, when a, the, the cowboy movie is out or any of the art related to a cowboy, it's always about, you know, the frontier closing. And it could be like the quote unquote beginning of the frontier, but it's always like, well, the West has already been conquered or some shit like that. And yeah. that's something that like is always, you always return to, I guess, in a lot of like cowboy culture kind of stuff. But, yeah. you know, the, I think like in, you know, a lot of people always will, will talk about how, well, no, like the frontier is never like closed. Like there's no. always going to yeah. be a frontier. And always. I, I think you, you, I, I don't know. I love like that. I guess like that bridge between a lot of that language and your own story and just kind of feeling like that. Where is home? Where is the, you know, um, that frontier? Where is yeah. all that? Where, where all that like mixes together, you know? And the funny thing is like, and this goes a little bit more, but everything I do is kind of like rooted in. So my dad's side of the family is like new England, like old school, new England and also Scotland. Like they came over like not too long ago from Scotland. So like, that's like its own ancient culture, which I, I don't know, maybe I'll do a sea shanty album next. Who knows? You know, we can go into like Celtic, New England music, it's gorgeous. It's very sad, but it's very gorgeous. Um, I just would need to find like the right instrumentalists. I'm sure that they exist. But um, uh, but my 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 mom's side of the family, um, so my granddaddy, the southern side, the Burkhalters are all from Georgia and like southern. And then my Filipino side, um, my, my grandmother right after world war two went to school in Minnesota and there's like this gorgeous photo of her, this like beautiful, she was so beautiful, like beautiful Filipino lady, like looking out over the badlands and the Dakotas. And I just remember seeing that photo as a kid being like, she's so badass. And she would carry Like she survived world war two on the run in the mountains in the Philippines and like surviving occupation you know, of the invading armies and stuff. And Mm -hmm. she, as like an, as an adult, I mean, as my grandmother, like she worked at a jewelry shop in like a super fancy part of San Diego and she was a gun owner and she was a crack shot and she would disappear for hours at a time. I'd be like, where did she go? Where did my grandmother go? My Lila is like, so the Filipino word for grandmother is Lola, but I couldn't say it. So it was Lila. Where did my Lila go? And she'd be off the gun range, just like tiny, gorgeous (laughs) Asian lady who's a crack shot, you know, who could probably put a lot of these NRA guys to shame. And I was just like, like, that's my grandmother. And then her dad, my, my grand, my great grandfather, my great Lolo, which is a grandfather in Tagalog was a mining student, a mining engineer in Colorado in the 1920s and 1930s. Like he was a freaking cowboy, like Deadwood, like that's some Deadwood stuff. And then he brought, he went back to the Philippines and created these like mines that saved tons of people's lives from bombings during world war two. And it's just like, I come from a long line of really intrepid 
mofos. Like, to be honest, like that's it. They're all really intrepid. They're really brave. And my granddaddy was like in the air force and he left Georgia and he went, flew across, you know, he ended up living in the Philippines and meeting my grandmother. And like, so I come from a world of these people who can't sit still, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, there's so many clashing, clashing is the wrong word. There's so many vibrant images of people who just keep going, keep going, keep going. And even on the, even on like the, the, my dad's side, like there, like there's a great grandmother who's like in the frontier of Saskatchewan and like in the woods and like, like it's a bunch of people just surviving, you know, like whatever history is throwing at them. So, um, yeah, like I know that's a lot, but it's really hard to, to explain how much my family history and the stories I grew up with influence everything I write in terms of the mythology and iconography and stuff. So symbolism. I want to break one more time to talk about our pals over at Desert Door and offer up a quick Thomas Mooney's cocktail minute. As I've said probably a hundred times by now, by no means am I a seasoned mixologist or bartender, but these have been some of my Desert Door go-tos. For starters, let's just go with the tried and true ranch water. Pop the top off the Topo Chico, take a good swig, now pour in some Desert Door and top it off by throwing in a few lime wedges. Never fails. This one, it's so simple it probably doesn't even count, but again, pretty foolproof. Do the exact same thing, but get you a Mexican Coca-Cola. I guess you can go with a regular one, but you're really cutting yourself short if you don't opt for the Mexican import variety. All right, here's the changeup you've been waiting for, Desert Door Sangria. This one is prime for when you have company coming over and you aren't wanting to just be over there making six different drinks at a time. What you'll need is some Desert Door, obviously, a bottle of red wine, honey, boiling water, apple cider, apple cider vinegar, some cinnamon sticks, a couple of apples, and some thyme sprigs. I know that may sound intimidating, but trust me, it's worth the prep. And honestly, it's pretty easy. For starters, get you a punch bowl, add that honey, those cinnamon sticks, and the boiling water together. Now you're going to want to stir that all up and let it cool down for about an hour or so. Remember, patience is a virtue. Once that's done, Add some Desert Door and stir vigorously. Now add the wine, the cider, and the vinegar and continue stirring until it's equally mixed. Now slice those apples up and toss them in. Put in those thyme sprigs as well. Now you can pour that over some ice and you have a mighty fine sangria. Chef's kiss. Anyway, those have been some of my favorite go-tos as of late. And remember, Desert Door is as versatile as vodka and more refined, smooth, complex, and intriguing than tequila. It's rich in balance, and whether you decide to keep it simple or want to experiment, Desert Door is that perfect Texas spirit. There's plenty more recipes over at DesertDoor.com as well. Check out the show notes for a link. All right, let's get back to the episode. I, I think that, like, you know, that that's one of those things where it just kind of gets ingrained in, in a family as far mm-hmm. as like that, that mentality. What I hear in a lot of that right there is I guess like the, 
the idea of like the the quote unquote like the second sons, if you will, because you know like the first son takes over the the family business or the whatever. If if we're gonna go back to you know the right. the, the era literary line, right yeah, uh, and like often like you know the 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 kids after were the ones who went out to the you know the edge of the world quote unquote yeah like exactly and like I feel like that is there's a lot of that in there. Uh, with your family. Oh yeah. That would be my whole family on both sides. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> on both sides, like, and it's just, it's just I, my whole childhood was growing up of hearing about all these people who just never sit set still. Even now today, people are like, where are you from? And I'm like, that is a complicated question. <laughs> that is very complicated. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, and I, even as a kid, I gravitated towards, pardon me, Johnny Cash, you know, because he's this outlaw who sings from his heart and mind, speaks his mind, and was a badass, you know? And, like, to me, that's, to me, that, and he's haunted, but he, like, overcame his hauntedness, you know, to, you know, and to me, that was, he was one of my heroes from a very young age. So, I don't know, I mean, I definitely, definitely relate to kind of like the outlaw mythos also. So not that I'm that I'm pretty boring. I go to bed really early when I'm not bartending. So, and I, my partying days are over. Thanks <laughs> the Lord. Yeah. I can't. Well, like the, the Johnny Cash thing is like, there's that, like that incredible balance of being the, the epic badass, right? Like telling these mm-hmm. big stories, but then also at the same time being like, you know, sharing off both, I guess, like that, that hardened edge, but then the vulnerability behind it. Like I'm, I am human too, kind of. Yeah. And and like he died after June died because of a broken heart. I mean, I don't know. That's just like the mythology. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. that country music people will be like, that's not true. But like, that was what like the image that came to mind. Right. So and if you get corrections, I accept the corrections. I'm not Googling things live as we speak right now. But, uh, yeah, I just – I love juxtapositions and the Walt, great Walt Whitman quote of, like, do I contradict myself? I contradict myself. I um, I am uh, – dang it. I forget what the rest of, how the rest of the quote goes. Um, I contain multitudes. Yeah, and I love that. It's just, like – you don't have to be either or. And I actually shun that because I am like, we're all, I from a very young age had to grow up realizing I'm a lot of things. I'm not white. I'm not completely Filipino. I'm not Eastern or Western. I'm not Southern as in the United States. I am. Then I was like, Oh, I'm not gay or straight. I mean, I'm bisexual. See what I'm saying? It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't get the choice of being one thing. So I don't know. I, I kind of, and it's once you get over like the difficult aspect of it, it's incredibly liberating. And I just really want everybody else to feel that way. I want everybody to just get more free, honestly. Right. Yeah. Like people aren't in this like binary code. You're not a zero. And I don't, I'm sure like there's been a lot of that throughout history forever. Uh, but like specifically here, I feel like we, you have to like, or you feel pressure to cut out all the nuance of a person. Yeah. And, and that's so boring. Yeah. It, it's such a, like, I don't know, like, um, cause like Twitter is very, very, the, the beauty of Twitter is that it's limited characters, but then like you, 
what I always hate is like when you say something and people just generalize what you're saying and mm-hmm. they want to point out like, well, there's this exception. You're like, yes, yes. Uh, there's always exceptions. And this isn't like the, the rule. This isn't like the, the rule to what I'm talking about, but right. like allow, allow a little bit of nuance in what I'm trying to say. You know? Yeah. But, you know, honestly, a lot of that world of culture of just like debate it, like that level of nitpicking and debate mm-hmm. goes against everything you learn in relationship therapy, like any, and I have been in every kind of therapy. And one of the big things that they teach you in like relationship therapy, like, like any kind of relationship, like getting to know other people is the level of grace and listening you need to extend to somebody else. And what they, the Gottmans like to say, assuming positive intent. And I know that people are gonna be like, well, you can't always, yeah, but it's like, if you really want, (laughs) are you trying to win a debate? Are you trying to foster healthy relationships? You know? And it's like, so to me, learning how to listen to people has been one of the biggest things I've ever done. And listening means to like, not just always looking to tear somebody else down, you know? Um, so, I mean, that's, it's it served me a lot as, as a bartender for sure. Oh, absolutely. And as, as a songwriter, because, you know, I always think like empathy is probably the, the, the best quality to have as a, as a songwriter. And, you know, I, I think like what a lot of people time, a lot of people do is they don't listen with, with that in mind, it, you're just, even if you're like, you're not trying to win the debate, you're almost always, you have to teach yourself to not just like wait for your turn to talk. Oh yeah. And, and, and I think a lot of times even it's just, I don't want to say it's a struggle, but I think like you all, I have to like remind myself to even in like a situation like this where I'm like, don't think about like what you're going to ask next. Like, just listen to what they're saying because you, you're going to miss something, even on a very, very basic journalism interviewing someone or talking to someone <laughs> kind of way. But uh, I mean, I think I yeah. think it's a fine line that 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 you. Yes, we want to listen in a way that isn't interrupting, but you also there's a moment when you feel like you connect with something and, and you get excited. And I think there's a beauty in that also. So I think it's like as it's the balance. It's those like micro muscles of life that, that we really have to focus on. Um, and like learning how to healthily listen and also, you know, validate and react and like also assert ourselves. Like they're all very important life skills. So I think it's not something you can actually just kind of sum up in like a cool meme or a (laughs) tweet. Yeah. it's, It's, it's a lot of hard work. You know, they have whole programs and therapeutic modal- modalities for this shit. So, yeah, which yeah. is, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I just, it's just like, I just, everybody just like embrace the nuance, y'all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about like your, your, you know, I, I love 90s country. You talk about, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm assuming like you're, you're around my age, which would make you like a, a 90s kid. Um, yeah, I'm th- I'm 36. Okay, yeah. So like I'm 33. Um, nice. And and I that's okay. That's something right there where I feel like most people like this is going to be my nitpick criticism, and it's going to be a small one. Most people who think they're like 90s kids, I'm like, no, you can't be like born in like 95 and be a 90s. Kid. No, uh, no. <laughs> you have to be like rooted a little bit early. But so, anyways, I feel like you you very much grew up in that time when there was that nineties explosion where, you know, even if you, if you're talking about, you know, always on the move, kind of being 
a coast kid living out in LA and in uh, the upper Northeast. 90s country, I feel, had to be access- accessible for, for a lot of folks, regardless of, of where you are from, where maybe like country was more of a, a southern or an Appalachia or a West Texas or a Texas thing in, in previous iterations of country. Um, do you feel like that, like it was, it was easy? Was, was 90s country uh, accessible for you, even if you weren't, you know, always like wearing a cowboy hat and Wranglers and boots and, you know, riding a horse to school? Yeah. I mean, for me, I liked it because like I have always been a pop fiend. I love pop. And Mm -hmm. I when the thing I like about 90s country is not what country purists like about 90s country. I like it because it is crossover and mainstream. And it is these like great pop hooks and it is Shania be, you know, and Faith Hill. And like, it is crossover. It is quote unquote, uh, watered down. And I'm sure country purists are going to yell and scream about it, but it's like, that's why I like it. I love pop music, but it's also really great lyrics. Like you have fancy like that Reba's song fancy. Like it's so good and it's so catchy and poppy, but it's also so dark and like, brave you know what i mean so it's like i I just that's why i love it i love you can have a moment where it's like this super great cross and in my dream of dreams would be a day where there are like pop songs on the top 40 that are doing these brave intense specific lyrics you know i mean and some people they're going in that direction like sia for sure is and like or was i don't know where she's doing these days I think uh, hip hop gets as close as we can, you know, get there to, I don't even know what I'm saying, but like, that's the thing is like, I love that because it was so mainstream and crossover. And yet it was bringing this kind of like witticism and this kind of like lyricism that a lot of pop music doesn't have, which I love pop. I love pop, but I also love lyrics and it has been a lifetime of trying to reconcile the two. Someday I'll do it. Yeah, 90s was like as far as with country, we were at like it was just like the right balance of that those pop sensibilities. Yeah. And like the the smart clever uh lyrics that were that just you just felt like oh, like ha- that was just so perfectly worded. Um no it's not too many words, not like enough. Like it's just like the that right balance of like what was happening there. Yeah, and, and it's not like fifteen verses, which is like I love folk music. I have <laughs> I have spent a lot of time in folk music, but I can't I can never be like a real folk singer because I can't remember all the fifteen verses of the ballad of Dying Sally or whatever. You know what I mean? Right, it's like yeah. <laughs> I can't and like that I don't think that song exists, but maybe I should write it. But like that that's the thing I love about it. And so whenever people are like, I am not a country purist, I come from a pop background for real. It's just that it's like country music. The lyrics are so great. They're so great. And it, as like a writer, as somebody who studied short stories and prose and poetry and stuff like it is so irresistible. It, and as somebody who grew up with a Southern grandfather, who granddaddy who spoke a lot, like, the way that these songs are written, like it, it is irresistible to me. So, but it's like, that's the pop element of the nineties stuff that I freaking love. It's just, I love pop music and like that. I love mixing things and turning it into a schmush. 
So then the Dixie Chicks are like my number one, or the Chicks are my number one favorite band of all time up there with ABBA. So it's like, and you know what they did? They just went full, full send. Absolutely. Yeah. Of yeah. Like Natalie, uh, Lubbock Roots, Lubbock Bourne. So yeah, girl. Yeah. She was, uh, that's, I always, it's, I, I don't know. It's so weird. I, we don't have to go in the route of like stupid people burning records, uh, here in Lubbock <laughs> back in the day. I still I think there's probably people out there who are like, ah, blah, blah, about it. But I, yeah, the, I always loved just how, um, they're they're one of the I, I love bands that you feel like you you're growing with them at the same rate mm-hmm. that they are and usually mm-hmm. they're a little bit older than you and that's like what I don't there's more uh, attached to that but yeah the, the the great pop sense the the great like growth like at one point like you just kind of I was like oh my gosh like the Dixie Chicks or the Chicks aren't yeah like their moms now you know what I mean and yeah, like they're yeah. writing about like you know, adult things. And even when they were like in their twenties, like the, there was always that feeling of like, you could feel like that transition of, of that. Not yet, oh, not a girl or not, a, not a teenager. Not, not yet even a woman. Early, yeah. And it was just like that, that great balance of, of trying to find what, what you were or like who you yeah. were going to be. And their, their album home is like probably my favorite album of all time. And it, 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 it's, it's like, it's a folk masterpiece to me. Cause it, it mm-hmm. does what great folk music is supposed to do. And it also like kind of introduced the world, the, the world at, at large to Patty Griffin, who is my h- number one hero. Um, you know, the incredible folk musician and songwriter, uh, and like just, Oh, it's perfect. Like I can listen to that top to bottom, beginning to end forever and all time. Amen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's my all hail the Dixie Chicks, the Chicks, all hail the Chicks. <laughs> Top of the world is yeah. just like, <sighs> yeah. No, now that song has the lyric that that I wish I wrote when she's like, uh, um, I pretend to be sleeping when you walked in in the morning to whisper goodbye, work, go to work in the rain. I don't know why. I don't know why. That's all she needs to say. And you know everything about this freaking couple, mm-hmm. how lo- they are alone together they are lonely and it's like you are looking back at the rest of your life and like everything you need to you need to know i don't know why why did you do that like but we've 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 all been there where we're like ignoring somebody we're supposed to love you know and it's brilliant she patty griffin is a patron saint like incredible so yeah no she's she's absolutely wonderful thousand kisses like that record is like that's the, like that's one of those records. It's on the short list of if I could just see an artist play a record at Who's a show. That one, like, that yeah. would be. It's on the short list. Uh, yes, I've seen her one time here in Lubbock, and it was just like amazing. Yeah, it was one of those. Again, this is like a a modern cultural thing of like mm-hmm. trying to like oh I need to um, capture it versus just living it, and I just kept telling myself no, just like let it be right here. You don't have to like just exist. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I saw her once and it was like, I was just like jaw dropped the entire time. And and she did, she played one of her newer albums that I don't know as well, but I was like, it doesn't matter. It's Patty. So. Absolutely. Patty, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the one thing I, hopefully she is listening to this. <laughs> Patty, <laughs> we love you. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love her. I love, uh, 
I don't I've loved this conversation right here. Yeah, it's been a good one. It's been fun. Yeah. Like I, it feels like a, it doesn't feel like work or anything. It feels like I, I'm like, oh, I have a good chat. All right, that is it for this episode. Go check out Golden Child by Mercy Bell. Visit our pals over at Desert Door, The Blue Light Live, and Charlie Stout Photography. Go pre-order The Lubbock Way, a collection of wallflower vignettes by me. And yeah, I'll see y'all later in the week for more new slang.